Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. This is the result of my prayer, the result of what you said, Eli. Here it is. I made the vow. And so she afterwards prayed. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. I am Hi, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob begins a three-part series in Chapter 2 of the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. We left off last time when Hannah made a vow if the Lord allowed her to bear a child that she would dedicate that child back to God. In today's teaching, we notice that she rejoices in the Lord. She could not rejoice in leaving her son, but she could rejoice in the Lord. In the most desperate situations, when we have nothing else to rejoice in, we can always rejoice in the Lord. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel. We're going to look at chapter 2 this evening. In the very first chapter that we looked at last week, we saw that um, there was a gentleman named Elkanah who had two wives, the one was named Hannah, and the other one was Penina, and Hannah was barren. She couldn't have children, but yet Penina was very uh, fertile. <laughs> she was able to have children, and, but it says that Elkanah really loved Hannah. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, Isaac with, uh, or I'm sorry, with Jacob with Rachel and Leah, or um, Leah, yeah, I think that's right. I get the, I, sometimes I still get uh, the brothers confused. But um, sort of like the thing with Rachel and Leah, you know, uh, Jacob loved Rachel, but Leah was the first to have kids, you know. And so a similar situation here, and we find that uh, Penina, who was Elkanah's other wife, and the Lord never really sanctioned, um, he, he allowed it to happen, but it wasn't something that God uh, condoned. He, he never condoned polygamy where you have more than one wife. It was never a good idea. And we see in every instance in the Bible, in Jacob's life and also in Elkanah's life, we see whenever there is one man and two women, or one man and several women, uh, the Bible doesn't record having you know, one woman with several men, uh, but there's always a problem. And I think there's a reason for that, because Jesus said from the very beginning it was so that he created man and woman, and they too shall become one flesh. These two, man and female, male and female, they come together. 
they become one flesh. He doesn't say one man and three women, one man and a thousand women, as in Solomon's case, but one man, one woman, and they too shall become one flesh. And whenever you have anything other than what God has initially designed, you run into troubles very quickly. So this was the case with Elkanah because Penina was always chiding Hannah, just on her case all the time about her infertility. And have you ever had an adversary like that? <coughs> Excuse me. You know, they knew something, maybe a, fr- a, fr- a friend or a family member, just knowing something about you and just, it's like salt on a wound. It was sort of like lemon juice on a paper cut. Every time you got together, they just, they couldn't resist just dropping a little lemon juice on that paper cut and causing so much pain. And that was the relationship that Hannah and Panina had. Panina was her accuser. And it hurt her severely. And so they go up to Shiloh where the the tabernacle was, and there is Eli the priest and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And Hannah makes a vow to the Lord. The Bible says that she didn't have to make a vow, but she wanted a child so bad because she knew that her husband Elkanah loved her, but yet his other wife, Penina, was very fruitful, and, and as, a, as a result of that, just rubbing it in her nose. And, and yet she knew that Elkanah really loved her, but she was impotent in a sense. She, didn't, she couldn't bear children for him, the thing that every husband would, would desire, to have an heir. So they go up to the tabernacle in Shiloh and... Hannah makes this vow, and she basically says, Lord, if you will give me a child, then I will give him back to you all the days of his life. You just give me a child. So, you know, when you think about the love that she had for Elkanah, I just want a child. You know, there's nothing more precious and wonderful uh, a woman's, or a man's, but especially a woman's desire to have children. When that overcomes a woman, it is a really, it's a a God-given desire. And it's a good thing. And here she is with that desire, but no way to produce a child. And so God hears her prayer. Eli, seeing her pray just with her mouth, he assumes that she's drunk. But she's in bitterness of soul. She's heartbroken. And then finally, when she explains herself to Eli, he finally says, You know, the Lord grant you the petition that you asked for. Go and be at peace. And so she takes that as being the word of God. And yet Eli and his two sons are not very good, especially his two sons. And Eli was a man who permitted his sons to do all kinds of heinous things there in the tabernacle when the children of Israel wanted to worship. And yet she knew all of this. I'm sure she learned that, you know, that these guys aren't really doing the right thing. And yet when God spoke or when Eli spoke, she kind of took that and said, you know what? I believe that God's going to do that. And he did. And so she brings this child after she weans him. She has three or four years of weaning Samuel. And can you imagine how special and intimate and wonderful those three years were, those three or four years? She knows what she's going to do. She's going to give him back to the Lord. He's going to go, he's going to, go to the Shiloh at the tabernacle, and he's going to serve because he's actually a Levite himself. Elkanah and his wife were both Levites. Now you've got this young Samuel who's going to serve the Lord for the rest of his life. He's going to serve with Eli, and he's going to serve with Hophni and Phinehas, these two really bad examples. And yet the nation of Israel needed Samuel at that time in their history. They needed a man who was after God's own heart. He's like a David in a sense. He didn't want to compromise anything. A man of sterling character and reputation. And so, 
the Lord gives Hannah Samuel. And after the time of weaning, she takes him up to the the tabernacle there in Shiloh, leaving Ramah, going to the Shiloh, and she follows through on her vow. And immediately after that, we read what we read in chapter 2. Let's read just the first 11 verses, because that's probably all we're going to get through tonight. Let's read it. So after all of this happens, you know, and then she tells, as she comes and she brings Samuel back to the tabernacle, there's Eli again, and he's sitting there in the place that he's always sat. There's probably an indentation of the place where he sat, because the Bible says that he was a very heavy man. So... A very heavy man, so he's sitting there. He sees her coming, and then finally she says, Oh, by the way, I'm the woman, remember? The woman who, with the sorrowful heart, who prayed to the Lord for a child. And you, you told me that God was going to you know, work this out, in a sense, and to go, and, and the Lord answered. And here I am with the child. He's weaned, and by the way, he's yours. Because that was the vow that I made. And I'm so glad that he was already weaned. Can you imagine these three gentlemen? I mean, who knows however many else were serving there in the, in the tabernacle, but here's a five-year-old boy. See ya. <laughs> That's quite a load. But I wonder what God did in Samuel. He probably made him a very respectful young man, and as he looked up to Eli and he looked up to Hophni and Phinehas, he didn't know any better at that age, and he's just like, you know, whatever he was gleaning from them, you know, um, for good or ill, and God speaking to him, God using him. And can you imagine the faith that it took for Hannah to give her son away, knowing that these guys are corrupt as anything? Would you do that, Mom? Would you do that, Dad? Because it was Elkanah's decision, too. Actually, it became his vow as well, because when the Lord, uh, when she made that vow, Elkanah, we know, was aware of that vow, and he didn't forbid it. So it became his vow, too. It wasn't just her vow. It became their vow. You'll notice in the first chapter it says that he went to Shiloh to fulfill his vow. But he told Hannah, only the Lord perform his word so that when the child is weaned, we've got to do what is right, what we vowed to do, and he does. But think of the faith it took for her to give up Samuel having three years of that intimacy with her newborn that she wanted more than anything. I tell you, that's worship, folks. That's real worship. When you have something you've asked for, and it's the only thing you've ever wanted. And God didn't require the vow of her. She made it voluntarily, but God held her accountable for that. And I think for good reason, too, because guess what? God was going to bless her with three other sons and two other daughters after Samuel. And the nation needed a man like Samuel. They didn't know it. They didn't even care. But God put his man in the right place at the right time. And so, what a worship service that must have been. It, it just brings tears to my eyes when I think about it. Because I think of what it was like when my daughter was young. And seeing my wife nurse her in the wee hours of the morning waking up. Whenever I did wake up, that is. Seeing her there in the, in the, in the rocking chair nursing my daughter, our daughter. And the stillness of those nights, and just a little lamp on, you know, it's just, and she's looking down at her. And Hannah did that with Samuel. Really special time. So let's read just the first 11 verses. I think that's all we're going to get through. It says, And Hannah prayed, and, and this is after she had told Eli, Here he is, 
This is the result of my prayer, the result of what you said, Eli. Here it is. I made the vow. And so she afterwards prayed. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And for no one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills, and he makes alive. He brings down to the grave, and he brings up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah. But the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And of course that is in Shiloh. Let's go back to verse 1 again. You'll notice the very two verse, first verses of this is really wonderful. In fact, if you look at just the first two verses, it really speaks of worship. You hear Hannah here just pouring out worship. And if you notice the hallmarks of worship, because it's all directed toward the Lord, it ascribes greatness to him. It talks about how wonderful and gracious he is, the things that he's done. It's nothing to do about me. And in these first two verses, we see that very thing. And Hannah prayed, and she said, and here's where her heart, her worship begins. My, actually, let me say this. Her worship already began. <laughs> because, at least in her prayer, she's worshiping. But, you know, what she did in giving her son back to the Lord, the thing that she desired and loved more than anything, that was the greatest worship. And then she follows it up. And notice, it wasn't just the action. Now she's going to pray. And I love this. She said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In other words, my heart rejoices in Jehovah. Whenever you see capital L-O-R-D, that is Yahweh, Jehovah. That is the covenant God, God the Father we're speaking of here. The one who cannot lie, who is perfect in every everything that he does. He is glorified and perfect in holiness and love. And notice what she says, my horn, in other words, my strength, my strength is exalted in the Lord, and I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And then she goes on in verse 2, continuing in worship, no one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. I love that. I love that because she's just giving him the glory. She's not, you know, before we start running to the Lord with our laundry list full of petitions and requests, it's good for us to acknowledge who we're speaking to. Have you ever noticed that? I've gotten in a habit of that sometimes. I, I just, I rush into, it's almost like I'm late for work. I run in, I'm putting away my umbrella, and I stick it in the little thing, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And I start blowing off my list. 
And I love what Hannah does here. And I think it's biblical. And I'll tell you why shortly. But sometimes we can become so familiar with the Lord, or at least we think we can become so familiar with him. We kind of bring him down to our level and we get this comfortability with him. And, and we think that we understand more than we perhaps do. But we, we, we can become so familiar that we can be, even at times, contemptuous as we rush in with our needs before acknowledging him and who he is. Because we have to remember that we're not speaking and praying to an equal or to a peer of ours. We're speaking to Almighty God, the one who created all things, the heavens and everything in them, things that we can't even understand, things that are beyond our comprehension. He's created all these things in a thought. He's spoken them in a word, and they came to pass when as yet there was nothing. Is there anybody who can do that? There is no one in the universe like our God. And he is the one who is indwelling you by his spirit. We need to return, I think, sometimes to, and, and many of you may have this healthy attitude toward the Lord, but you know what? Have a healthy respect for him, an awe, a reverence. The Bible sometimes calls it a fear, but you can fear and be a scared of, or you can fear and be in awe, in complete awe. You know, I think when Hannah is, is saying this prayer, there's no reservation in her voice. Could it sound something like this? My heart rejoices in the Lord. And then she goes on and she speaks like that. Have you ever seen somebody just abandoned? They're not even concerned about their volume. They're just like, Lord, you have done this. I am so blessed. Thank you, God. I think that's how it was. And that's a good thing. But to know who we're speaking with. You remember in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus In chapter 6, verse 5 through 9, what did it say? Jesus, speaking to them about prayer, he says, When you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they like to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things that you have need before you ask him. And therefore, he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. And what's the very first thing that he says? Pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is that? Before he goes on to, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be our name, you know, you know, your name. Forgive us our, you know, give us this daily, our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. And we go on through that list of things. But the first thing, the preeminent thing is worship. What is it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's the way Hannah starts out. She doesn't forget who she's speaking to. She remembers that, God, you are even though you are closer to us than a brother, even though you love us like a father and a son, or, you know, like a father and a a, a child, we can have that relationship with him. But let us never forget how great he is and the great gulf that's between us that only Christ could unite us together. But we need to come before him going, Lord, without you, I would be nothing. The fact that you would, you know, love me and condescend to me only because of the merits of Christ on the cross. 
It's good to have reverence for the Lord. I think that honors him. That way it keeps us from going in in a contemptuous way and just saying, hey, hey, bro, uh, just want to thank you. You know, And we can be kind of flippant, and you hear people pray like that. And, you know, God can hear them. I don't want to lay some kind of weird trip on people. But you understand what I'm saying? There's a, there's a reverence. We ought to be reverent to the Lord. I hear some people, even Christians, say, yeah, I talked to the man upstairs today. Did you? <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> you know? But notice, Hannah goes on and she says, my, my horn or my strength is exalted in the Lord. And my heart rejoices in the Lord. What does your heart rejoice in? What does it rejoice in? It's a good rhetorical question to ask yourself. What do I really rejoice in? Do I rejoice in my 401k? Do I rejoice the fact that all the bills are paid? Those are all good things. What do I rejoice in? Do I rejoice in the salvation of others? Do I rejoice in the fact that somebody else is being encouraged and they're getting out of debt? Maybe they're getting out of some kind of sin issue. Do I rejoice over that? I love what John the Apostle said in Second John chapter 1. He says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. I love that. What was it that he rejoiced in? What did Hannah rejoice in? She said, I rejoice in the Lord. And John has a great example for us. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. Paul the Apostle in 1 Thessalonians said to them, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And then the Apostle John again in his third epistle says this, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I tell you what, there is no greater joy in my life than to see when my daughter finally gets something, when, I, when we share with her and it clicks. There's something that we've been telling her maybe for years, and all of a sudden it just clicks. Do you know that moment with your children or maybe even your grandchildren? When it finally clicks, they've heard the stories. I mean, they're not stories, but they've heard all the stuff. But isn't it true that the Lord, the Word of God is like that? That's what makes it alive. I've read the Bible a a number of times, and then to go through it again, and it's going to happen every single year as I go through it. I'm going to be blown away by what God reveals. And why didn't he show me that? 24 years ago, because I wasn't ready for that. Something's happening tomorrow in my life that I need to hear today. It's called fresh manna. It's called him daily loading us with benefits. He does that on purpose. His word is like that. It's ever-living because we are ever-changing. And all the time that we're changing, new facets of the word of God become real to us, and he reveals them to us at the right time, at the right moment, and all of a sudden it just, the lights go on. I love that. That's why you never stop reading. Don't think, well, I've, you know, I've heard people say, well, I've, re- I've read the, from Genesis to Revelation, I've read it. They read it like a novel, and then they put it away. They haven't read anything. Maybe they have. You keep reading it, regardless of what happens. You keep reading it. And the Lord, in his right time, he's going to open things to you. And it may take some time. He's certainly speaking all the time, but there's going to be poignant verses that are going to step out to you. They're going to pop out to you at the right time, but it won't happen if you're not reading. He can do anything. He can speak to you in a dream. 
You've got to be careful about that. He can speak to you through others if you're not listening to him. He can, use some, he can raise somebody else and come to you and say, you know what, you're in trouble. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.